Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Uh, again, it's myself, Mark, but today, today, I, in fact, we are joined by the National Leprechaun Museum's newest storyteller. Hello, Brendan. Hello, it's me. <laughs> uh, Brendan, um, how long have you been in the museum now? I've been in the museum since, what, like late August or so? Okay, so three months in, basically? Three months or so, yeah, that's yeah, about it. You're, you're well-seasoned at this stage. Well-seasoned at this stage, yeah. <laughs> mm, um, <laughs> it's nice to have kind of new voices on it. We had Jade, obviously, last month, and then Jade did the book review for the latest uh, newsletter. But it's nice to hear the new voices. But your voice, is, that, that's not a Dublin accent. No, I'm from Tipperary, the middle of nowhere for my sins. <laughs> <laughs> I love Tipperary. I love that when we used to visit there when my kids were younger, my son always referred to Tipperary as Tipawewi. Tipawewi? Yeah, I did like, the same thing. I couldn't say my oars until I was about eight. <laughs> yeah, I think it's some, the forming of the mouth. But obviously it's a great part of the country for stories. Were there any kind of local stories or local legends that kind of stuck with you when you were growing up? I think one of the biggest ones is a man called Eamon on Connick, or Ned of the Hill, who's essentially like a weird rural Tipperary Robin Hood um, so he was sort of like a highwayman in like the 1700s did all the fighting the British things and then some guy um, or I guess the governor at the time like put out a ransom for his head and so he got his head chopped off by some deceitful neighbour but oh no there was already because he had fallen in love with the governor's daughter the like parole order had just come in and it was all big and tragic it's a very convenient very, very convenient, convenient yeah but also very relevant because we've got Paddy telling a story today now, it's not one of the more common stories for storytellers, Bikram's Feast, uh, which isn't a story you're familiar weren't well, weren't familiar with before we started doing the podcast. No, I'd never heard about it before at all. Yeah. It's part of the Ulster cycle, so it's a type of story that you can listen to and you can enjoy it by itself, but there is a lot of names and place names. I love how Potty pronounces place names as well. <laughs> he spells it out for you like you can you can see the letters on a page. Um but it's very relevant to that kind of story, you know, not just because of the beheading, um, but it is a story that you would appreciate more, I suppose, if you read the entire Ulster cycle. Yeah. And obviously our mythology is broken down into four major cycles. And I think when myself and Potty went through them recently, we identified 74 stories within the four cycles. And some of those stories could be broken down into further kind of sub stories. Um, but we're going to have a listen to Paddy now. We're going to enjoy his story. Okay. And then we'll follow up with some of our thoughts. So for you listening, just sit back, enjoy Paddy's silky tones. <laughs> Let us travel back to ancient Ireland stand in the midst of that powerful band of warriors known as the Red Branch Knights of Ulster. Let us gaze in awe and wonder at their brave leader, Cúchollin, the Hound of Ulster, and listen to the marvellous storytelling of their bard, Brickriu. Brickriu was the finest storyteller of his age. He could bring tears to stones, he could make the dying laugh. He was also a powerful warrior, and he joined the battlefield with his friends. After one battle, an assassin chanced upon him and stabbed him in the jaw. Brickrio bested the assassin, but 
forever afterwards. His sense of taste and feeling in his mouth was gone. He could not taste the wine that he loved and he could not taste food for everything felt like dust in his mouth. He became bitter, more bitter than any man who has ever lived, so much so that he became known as Brickrew Bitter Tongue. And he always felt like he had to bring chaos and destruction and bitterness wherever he went. He wanted everyone to feel as miserable as he was. He concocted a scheme. He built for himself a mighty palace at Dun Rodriguez. And he called around to Awan Maka, the seat of Krahur Machnesa, king of Ulster. Krahur, my king, I invite you and your men around to my dune that you might see the mighty palace I have constructed in your honour. Sit in the throne that I have made for you and sit too the leaders of the twelve tribes of Ulster around you in that mighty hall, that beautiful palace. I will go to Rodriga, but only if my men will go with me. Fergus approached the throne of the king and said, We should not go to the home of Brickrio Bittertongue, for if we go, then our woes shall be our own. The dead will be envied by the living. If you do not come to my home, said Brickrio, then I will set man against man in Ulster, woman against woman, child against child. The very breasts of the women right and left I will cause to fight each other, and Ulster will have no peace until they are all as bitter as I. Well, I suppose we'll have to go, so, said Fergus. Before the feast was due to start, Brickrew approached the three most powerful men in Ulster, Conal Carnock, Lera the Triumphant, and Cúchulain. To each of them he said that the champion's portion should be yours, for you are the strongest, the best man in Ulster. And the champion's portion that I will offer, that part of the feast dedicated to the strongest of men, is not the champion's portion of a poor man, that is for sure. I have prepared a vat of wine that three men could sit in comfortably. I have prepared also a boar, only seven years old, that since its birth has had nothing but the creamiest milk and the sweetest oats to eat. As well, there will be 100 oat and honey cakes, each made from a sheaf dedicated to you, the most powerful of men. Conal Carnock, Lair the Triumphant, and Coo Colin all felt 
that they should be the one to take the champion's portion. They would take it by force if necessary. When the band of warriors and their wives approached at the fort, the wives departed to take a look around the gardens, and each of the champions went inside. Sencha the druid was very wise, and he knew immediately that Brickryu must be up to something. So he barred Brickryu from his own feast. Brickryu was not at all disappointed, for he had constructed a special balcony for him and his wife, especially for this purpose, so that he could watch the fighting down below. The feast began in earnest. Everyone was merry at first, taking part in jokes and games and feats of strength and skill. But then the champion's portion was called out. Lera, Conal and Cúchulain all went to the dais to take for themselves what was rightfully theirs. And when they saw the other two men, a fight broke out between the three of them. Three of Ireland's most powerful warriors, each at each other's throats. It was pure chaos. The whole hall was filled with the glinting of lights from their spears and the enamel dust that fell from their shields. Sencha cried out, Stop! Two against one is not a fair fight. Let us share the champion's portion amongst all of us at this feast. Let us have peace among us, for aren't we like brothers? Brickrio only wants to put each of us against each other to sow chaos amongst us. Let some other king decide at a later date who is the champion of Ulster. Let us share for now. All could see the sense of Sencha's argument, so they sat down at the table and began to partake of the beautiful feast. Remember that the ladies are out surveying the gardens. They're having a nice time. Everything looks very beautiful. They are chatting amongst themselves. But then Brickryu, who was not at all pleased that his plans in the hall hadn't gone as he expected, went out to the ladies and he approached the wives of the three most powerful men in Ulster, Conal Carnock, Lair the Triumphant and Cúchulain. He approached Fidelma, Lindabar and Emer, saying, If you were the first to enter the hall, would you then not be considered the first among the women of Ulster, a queen above all of these other ladies? At first, neither Fidelma Lindabar or or Emer let anyone realize that there was a race happening. They moved swiftly but calmly out of the courtyard, but then the three ladies caught sight of each other and they knew immediately what was happening. They got closer and closer to the dune 
They started pushing at each other and pulling at each other, dragging them back and forward by the hair, pulling at their dresses, ripping their skirts. The men inside the hall could hear what was outside and they thought, oh, we're being invaded. Someone has tried to come upon us by surprise. No, said Sentient, that is obviously the women outside having a bit of a fight. Brickreel has clearly put them at odds with one another. Let us bar the doors and then let the women sort it out for themselves outside. So they barred the doors. But the three husbands of the three most powerful women in Ulster were very aware that if they didn't let their missus inside first, then it would look very badly for them. Conal tried to break down the doors, but all of the other warriors were stopping him. Lara found an axe from somewhere and was chipping away at the bar on the door again with all of the other warriors trying to stop him. But Cúchalin, the Hound of Ulster, just reached under the wall of the fort. He pulled up the wall of the fort all the way up past his shoulders. And Emer sauntered in, declaring with her stately walking that she was the true Queen of Ireland. Remember how Brickrew had constructed a special balcony for him and his wife to watch the chaos on inside the hall, but also through a window to see the women in the garden? Well, when Cúchalin lifted the wall of the fort, Brickrew and the wife were thrown from the balcony into the mud that surrounded the fort where the dogs were kept. Brickrew and the wife are down in the mud rolling around with the dogs and the scraps from the meal inside and they, they're barely recognisable as people. Brickrew stands up covered in the mud and the muck and the filth and he said to all gathered around him. Mark my words, men and women of Ulster, there will be no peace amongst you until you figure out through your own blood, sweat and tears who the champion of Ulster is, who deserves the champion's portion and who should be the Queen of Ulster in truth. Strangely, Sencha agreed with Brickrio. Uh, he agreed in the sense that really they should figure out who is the most powerful man in Ulster. But they shouldn't leave it, thought Sencha, to the king of Ulster or any man who lives in Ulster. Instead, well, Sencha put it best themselves. Let us go to our old enemy, a little king of Connacht. Surely he will give us the most unbiased opinion. And so the warriors set out from the feast for Connacht. When they arrived at uh, Hruchon, the uh, seat of power in Connacht, Elil received them gladly. And he toyed with the idea of teasing it out for a while. But then he thought to himself, what will sow the most chaos amongst them? I shall pick a man, any man at all. In fact, the most popular man in Ulster, 
would probably set them at odds more. It's clear to me, said Elil, that the most powerful man in Ulster is the young Cúchulain. He makes all of you old warriors look like beggar fools on the battlefield. This did not please Cornall or Lara at all, and another fight broke out in Cruachorn. Elil got tired of watching the three warriors fight it out in his hall, though he wanted to have a nice, peaceful evening, and so he sent them away. Go now, perhaps the king of Munster, Khuri Makdara, will sort out this mess for you. The warriors didn't want to go down to Munster to see Khuri Makdara. Khuri Makdara was known as a magician and as a trickster, who could cause his own fortress to spin around uh, where it was in Kirkaglina in County Kerry. They were very suspicious of Khuri, and so they decided to instead to return to Don Rudruige. Now at this stage, Brickrio's feast has been going on for about a week. Everyone has eaten everything, but the drink is still flowing. People are at that stage of a party where it is incredibly messy. The three warriors arrive back from Connacht, they rejoin the feast, and they continue on as if they had never left. Then there came a loud knocking at the door. What is this, said Sensha? More chaos sown by Brickrio bitter tongue. But then the doors of Dunrudriga burst open, and in walked an enormous troll-like figure. He was covered in a red, lank and dirty hair. He carried a huge club in one hand and a very sharp axe in the other. Who here in this hall, said the troll, will make a bargain with me? Who amongst the men of Ulster will keep his word? Up shot Cornall Carnock. I will keep my word with you, master. I am known as an honourable man throughout this province. A very brave man you are, said the troll. I will give you the opportunity to chop off my head if you will allow me to come back tomorrow evening and chop off yours. <laughs> that bargain is easily kept, sir, for there isn't a man in the whole world who could come back to any hall after his head has been chopped off. The troll placed his thick neck down towards the floor. Conal Carnock drew back the axe. He did not miss. A swift and mighty blow removed the troll's head from his shoulders. But then, horror of horrors, the troll stood up, picked up his head and walked out of the hall. Cornall turned and looked at his friends. 
they only looked back at him in fright. Needless to say, the following evening, Conal Carnock was nowhere to be seen. Who here in this hall is an honourable man? Your friend has fled like a child before the coming darkness. Who here will keep his word? Lara the Triumphant, who had had far too much to drink this week, stood up. He probably messed it up, Cornall. I'm sure that I could do it. Come forward then, Lara the Triumphant. The troll once again placed his head towards the ground. Lara drew back the axe. He did not miss a swift and mighty blow, removed the head of the troll from his shoulders. But once again, horror of horrors, the troll stood up, blood pouring from his neck, and carried his head out of the hall. Lara tried to laugh it off. He hung around the hall at Dunrodruiga, remained getting drunk with his friends. But as it came closer and closer to the evening time when the troll would return, he got more and more frightened. Once more they heard the banging at the door. The door swung open, the troll entered, and Lara fled out of one of the windows. Clearly there are no men of honour in Ulster, said the troll. No man here who will keep his word. No man here who will wait for the coming of the axe. I will do it, said Cucullin. I will chop off your head. Once again the troll bowed his head to the ground. And once again, in a swift, clean blow, Cucullin severed the head of the troll from his shoulders. But the following evening, when the troll returned, Cucullin was waiting for him, a smirk on his face. Clearly you are a man who can keep his word, said the troll. Cucullin bowed down his head. The troll raised the axe, paused briefly, brought it down swiftly, but hit instead the floor. You, said the troll, are the champion of Ulster, Cúcullin, the bravest of men. You will lead the Red Branch Knights of Ulster for many days to come. Though they did not know it at the time, the troll was Kuri Makdara, the magician king of Munster. When Cúcullin learned about the identity of the troll, he was not pleased. Though the king had solved the problem of who would be champion, Cúcullin felt that it was a slight against the honour of King Crahur and against the honour of the Red Branch Knights of Ulster to show up two of their most powerful, most feared warriors as cowards who could not keep his word. The hatred between Cúcullin and Cúri Makdara would be a fight 
written across the pages of history. But that is a story for another day. Well, that was quite some story. Uh, a little bit longer than we normally do, but there's no way to simplify that story. It's just got some incredible details and descriptions in it that you just can't do without. Far too many things going on to summarise anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would have been an awful lot simpler, though. If, if that had been a bunch of women hanging out together, who was the best at something, I don't think it would have gone that far. They'd have sorted it out with much less beheadings. There is other versions of that or stories that are very similar to that. And there's one where, where you see the three wires are sent off to Queen Queen Maeve to deal with. And it's not Aaliyah. Uh, and she just, you know, bundles them off to do a quick challenge because she literally doesn't want to have to deal with their, their salty egos. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame her. She has to deal with enough of that already. <laughs> she really does. But I love stories. I love, that's, that's the end of my sentence, Brendan. I love stories. You do love stories. I've come to gather that about you. <laughs> that's why we work in a storytelling museum. But I love stories where a storyteller is featured. Hmm. And you can really see the angle that the storyteller has, has put it down, where they're coming from. But the character of Bikram is interesting because they're a bard, they're a great storyteller, but they're also a great warrior. Yeah. Potty describes it all so well. Of course, yeah, those dulcet Kerry tones. <laughs> but even when he's talking about Bikram in the accident, not the accident, but when he's attacked during the battle, where he's literally stabbed in the jaw, and he's left with no feeling in his jaw and no taste, and that's what makes him bitter. And it said that everything feels like dust in his mouth, and became known as Bikram Bitter Tongue. Like, Bik- that's a deadly name. It's so good. And I mean, I understand it. I'd, I'd feel rightfully annoyed at everyone and want to cause some chaos if someone did that to me yeah because it's one of those things like the sim- the joys in the world and if you imagine this is at a time where you know the the, the joys of life were quite primal joys I'm sure um, don't, don't worry you look nervous I'm not going to go into it I'm just going to talk about feasting okay good, good. <laughs> the finest of the F's <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, imagine that, like, kind of your reward at the end of a great battle was usually coming together with your people for merriment and, and music and feasting. Imagine if that's taken away from you. Imagine if everything just tasted like nothing in your mouth. Like, where's the joy? Yeah, you pretty quickly want to cause chaos and chop some heads off and the like. <laughs> yeah, because the whole story is just about one... It's, it really comes from one person just being browned off. You know what I mean? And wanting to share the misery. Yeah. I've often referred to Irish storytelling as being a way of Irish people just sharing our misery and misfortune. We do just love having tragedies to moan about. Yeah. It's just a part of the national character. But other people's misery is funny. Of course, uh, yes. That's, that's what I talk about when I talk about Dark Land. It's like, I know you'll enjoy it because all the bad things happen to other people. <laughs> and it's just like watching children fall off bikes on YouTube. You know, that, yeah. kind, of, that kind of joy. Fail videos are the modern <laughs> modern storytelling tradition. Yeah. It's <laughs> just the simple pleasures in life. Imagine that. Imagine if you couldn't taste food and you couldn't watch annoying people have accidents and hurt themselves. I'd be left with very little things to enjoy in this world. Yeah, those are like two of my favourite things. <laughs> <laughs> but the story itself, I mean, it finishes up very neatly with the, the, the trickster, basically, you know. 
and the troll coming in and the beheading similar to the the beheading in the story that you like uh, Ned oh yes Ned of the Hill yeah. there's always a beheading somewhere yeah it's a good decapitations there's some great stories in Irish mythology where we see that just because someone's beheaded it doesn't mean it's over for them they continue on we see stories where people have their heads sewn back on so they can continue with their battles and there's one great story where a guy gets his head sewn on but it's sewn on backwards by accident oh that's that's not ideal no it's not ideal it's not ideal but for this story that potty has told today as i said he's got this way of describing it where it almost doesn't matter the details or the larger picture of the story you can just sit back and enjoy it mm. very much like someone would enjoy food there's been times I've listened to Potty tell stories, and honestly, afterwards, I felt like I gained weight. <laughs> it's very sumptuous. It's very yes, yeah, sumptuous is a good is a good word. S- served up, served up on a golden plate. Well, Brendan, it's been an absolute joy having you on this, and now you have a new story. I have a new story. Yeah. Yeah. Take a while to get a story like that down. All right. <laughs> That's a lot of people to remember. But now that we've had you on a podcast uh, talking, we're going to have to get you to tell a story on a podcast soon. Oh, good. I'm That's... not going to get you to commit to anything now, but maybe it's going to be the story of Ned. Oh, oh, wow. That's going to take some digging. I, I do not know where to get sources on it. That's fun. <laughs> well, isn't that the great thing about our storytelling? You can just make it up. Of course, like how, yeah. many, how many people listening are going to be that familiar with stories from Tipperary? That's incredibly true, but my sister probably will, will listen and she'll give out to me first. Is she your older or younger? Older sister. Yeah, don't mess with it. I say that as a man with two older sisters. Yeah, she's better at folklore than me as well. It's going to be a, it's going to be a time. <laughs> don't tell me that. I'll be asking for her CD, bro. <laughs> well, thank you again, and thank you to everyone for listening. Remember, you can listen back to our previous podcasts and our other stories. You can, of course contact us and you can ask us uh, if there's particular stories that you're interested in you can reach out to us through a number of platforms and if you've ever any suggestions or feedback from us we'd absolutely love to hear it so thank you again for listening brendan thank you very much for joining us thank you for having me and goodbye bye